Well, welcome once again to Confluence's first ever online event. It is such an honor to, to be with you. Uh, I'm so glad that you took the time, whether you're you know, on your patio, in your bedroom, in your living room, in your car, or if you're in an auditorium with the rest of your church. It's, it's so good to be together. And I, I want to give some shout outs here, give some love. So if you are in the auditorium, I want you to stand to your feet. If you're, if you're online, you know, likes, comments, emojis, let's give some love to the pastors uh, that serve us so well. We thank you. We honor you. We love you. I want to thank my team. So, so you, you see me and you see a few others, but uh, I, I've got a team of people I work with that, that are behind this. Lane Clevenger, Ian Ashby, uh, Carl Harrington, Travis Aikland, and Bo Noonan, Bo Noonan. And of course, all of our uh, AVL teams and worship teams that work so hard to put this service together. Man, I hope that you thank them and love them and encourage them. It's such, such a blessing. Well, for those who are new to our churches, uh, Confluence is a family of churches with a shared mission. And our shared mission, we want, we want to build and strengthen churches in, throughout the regions of the United States and, and Mexico and Nepal and, and Turkey, as well as strategic partnerships in places like Kenya and Mozambique and Ethiopia, in Myanmar, in, in India. And um, man, it was so awesome to be able to, to pray into these uh, areas of ministry. And if you haven't done that yet, I would hope that you would go to our YouTube channel and, and get updated and all that's going on in our family of churches. So, but, so if you're new to us, okay, what's, what's up with the name? What's up with the name Confluence? Well, Confluence uh, is two rivers coming together to create one new river uh, for better flow and, and better impact. And that's what we want to see in Confluence. We want to see people coming together in community. We want to see churches coming together in partnership. And we want to see values come together as revealed in scripture and not separated as we see in culture. And we believe that in this coming together, we're going to create more flow and more impact. And culture presents to us two very separate paths that have pluses and minuses. But in God, we have a third way. It's a gospel way that's not simply the best of both worlds, but it's something completely different that when we put on display, what happens is Paul said to the Philippians that we pop out like lights among crooked generation. And this name feels more relevant to us than it ever has because 2020 feels like a train wreck. I mean, I think we can all agree that uh, this has been one of the most challenging years, if not the most challenging years of our lifetime. This pandemic has had a global health consequence. It has economic consequences. It's had emotional and psychological consequences. And just as we were beginning to catch our breath, racial tension peaked with the murder of George Floyd that has affected our globe and in particular, North America. So to many people, it feels like the world is unraveling. But let me say this, the world has started unraveling a long time ago. What's different about 2020 is our awareness of this unraveling. I mean, people come up to me all the time and are like, man, man, it just feels like the world is going crazy. I'm like, bro, it's been crazy. Uh, the, the world is broken, it, it's fractured, it's hurting. But even in the midst of this chaos, this pain, this ugliness and sin, we are those who are afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not given to despair, struck down, but not destroyed. Because as the scriptures declare that, that God has put this treasure inside these fragile jars of clay that anchor us and give us hope. Because despite how dark it is, we believe our hope is anchored in the fact that the gospel, it has the power to shine bright in any darkness that we can shine through that that the, that the gospel is the hope for this world. And if we read the back of the book, the good news is that those who are in Christ 
we win, right? Like God is going to put an end to the pain, to the sin, to the ugliness, to the stress. In the end, he's going to wipe away every tear. Uh, he's going to vanquish all of the pain, all of the mess, all the ugliness, all of the sin. In our lifetime, I hope so, but those dates are not for us to know. But here's what we do know, that redemptive history is being written by saints of old who ran their race and ran their race well. And now it's our turn. The stage is set, the lights are on, and it's our turn. It's our turn to be courageous. It's our turn to be prayerful. It's our turn to make the sacrifice. It's our turn to war against the injustice and the enemies of our God. It's our turn to do this. It's our turn to be full of the Spirit of God, surrendered to the Word of God, and being informed by the pain and the suffering of our world and with callous need and listen to me, with callous hands, we get after it. And that's why I want us to take a look this morning at 2 Chronicles 26 and King Uzziah, because he has both. Not just calloused knees and not just calloused hands, but he has both. And for you and I to be effective in this season, for you and I to be effective in this season, we need both as well. That's why we're confluence. Uh, we're not either or as culture expects, but we are both and, like the gospel demands, because I really believe God wants to do some amazing things around us. And I really believe that God wants to do some amazing things through us before he does things around us and through us, he's got to do something in us. Second Chronicles 7, uh, 14, earlier on, it says, if my people, he's speaking about you and I, if my people humble themselves, so you and I need to humble ourselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, before this pandemic, I have never heard of the phrase social distancing, but that's really the word of the year, the phrase of the year. Everyone knows what that means now. So if you go to Home Depot or Starbucks or Target, you know, they'll have these little boxes or squares that, a few, uh, that are six feet apart. And, and the belief is that if you keep this distance, that if we can honor this distance, it has the power to change how we experience this pandemic, that we can flatten the curve and save thousands of lives. So this message that has rightly got pounded into us is that we need to honor this distance of six feet. Well, there's another distance that we need to consider. And if we honored it, it could have global implications. It can, it can transform our neighborhood, our, our churches, our, our cities, our world, that if we honor this distance, a shorter distance, a distance of 18 inches, the distance between our knees and the floor. If we span that gap, if we fall to our knees and with all humility, God will heal our land because more than anything, you and I need a spiritual awakening. People are asking the question, you know, how do we get through this season? And I believe that it's a time and a season where we don't just need to get through, that we need to break through. And this spiritual awakening will lead to a material difference because listen, we need callous knees and we need callous hands, which again is what we see in Uzziah. So let's go there. We're going to learn from this guy. And, and I think the reason why we can learn so much because Uzziah becomes king in Judah when Judah is absolutely falling apart. It was fractured internally and externally. They were surrounded by enemies. It feels like the environment that we are in, uh, you know, externally things are falling apart, culture is falling apart, but in, in, internally we've got our problems too. It's not very pretty there. And there's some rich stuff that we can glean from in the life of Uzziah, some things that he did well, and we'll learn at the very end some things that he didn't do so well that we need to be uh, warned on. So what can we learn from Uzziah? Well, in verse three, we see that, you know, that uh, he becomes king at 16, right? 
which I know parents are trying to grapple with the idea of a 16-year-old having complete authority and complete autonomy. It's like, you know, you know, son, go to your room. It's like, dad, go to your dungeon. Like, well, I mean, what do you do with that? Like, I, I mean, I gotta be honest that when I read that a 16-year-old is in charge, I get nervous, all right? But even though times are different, it just reminds us that it's okay to put the ball in the hands of some of our young people. And as scary as it might be, Uzziah, you know, actually he does something right here. In the very first phase of his life, it says that he does what is right in the eyes of the Lord. It was an okay thing. It was a good thing to put the ball in the hands of this young man because he goes and he seeks the Lord. He doesn't go out and do what maybe you or I, you know, you know, he didn't buy the latest and greatest chariot with spinning wheels. I mean, he, he gives himself to seeking the Lord. Okay, so what did that seeking of the Lord look like? Because that's really important. Well, it says that he sought out an older mentor in Zechariah. Let me just pause here and say, we want churches filled with this dynamic. What dynamic am I talking about? In churches, we want to give responsibility to young people before they're ready, which means we need godly older men and women to mentor them. We want to create environments where young people are trusted early and those of us who are older are engaged in passing on both in what we've learned and what we've walked in. By the way, that's not all what we want from those of us who are older. Uh, We have our mountains to climb. You know, we have our battles to fight, but if 98%, which is a true stat, 98% of all people who made a decision to follow Jesus last year in North America, 98% of them were under the age of 30. If that's true, perhaps one of our greatest areas of fruitfulness is not the battles that we fight, but it's, it's the battles by supporting and loving and encouraging the next generation. But notice, young people, and this is for you, young people, that Uzziah initiated this. He wanted this. Even at 16 years old, he is able to appreciate uh, in an older generation, in a former generation, namely his dad, the good things. Even though his dad was uh, an idolater, he was a scoundrel, Second uh, Chronicles 25.2, if you read that, his dad was half-hearted, all right? So when the scriptures are commending uh, Uzziah for, for following in the footsteps of his dad. They're not commending him for the bad things that he did. Uh, you know, it's not like they're commending him for like being half heart. Like, you know, good job, Uzziah. You know, like you, you, you love the Lord your God with half your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's not what the scriptures are doing. But what's happening here is that he, he's saying, look, man, Uzziah was able to look at his dad and see what was good. And he's able to discern and his dad wasn't good. He's like, look, I'm gonna walk in what I see that is good and I'm gonna, I'm gonna avoid what I see, what is bad. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand because I can't see it anyway, but I'm sure that there are some people watching right now who look back at their dad and say, you know, my dad did some things that I'm not crazy about. I'm disappointed in my father. I'm disappointed in some leaders that have gone before me. I'm disappointed in leaders in the church. I'm disappointed in leaders in my job. I'm disappointed in leaders in the community, in politics. Or maybe you're even disappointed or angry You're disappointed and angry about this. And one mistake would be to completely to ignore these failures and and just walk right in the the same mistakes they did. Another mistake, another ditch that you need to be careful of is is just to put it all away and say it's all bad. But that's not where Uzziah is. He sees both his dad's strengths and his weaknesses. He said, look, I'm gonna walk in his strengths and I'm gonna avoid his weaknesses. If all you got is I don't wanna be like that, if all you have is angst in your heart about the past, I would say that you're harmful, not helpful. If you can't see that it's at least possible for you to fall into a similar trap. Number one, you don't know your own heart. But number two, all you're going to do is create another problem that your kids will complain about. 
We need to learn what is good about the past and hold on to it in, while ignoring what's bad. You, we, would have been, we need to reject the temptation to be angry and bitter or even shaken by the failures of the past, but rather with all humility be warned and say, okay, I can see the good there. I, I can see what they're trying to do. I can commend this. And based on the word of God and the spirit's conviction, I, I see a few things playing out differently. In fact, in this area, they were just flat out wrong. My dad was flat out wrong. You can do that. You can, you can have the kind of spiritual dexterity to notice what was good about the past, what was good about what your fathers passed on to you, a former generation, and then rejecting the past. But I just want to say to the next generation that we are trusting you. We are with you uh, to take us further than what we've ever gone. We want to, we, we hope for better things for you. We want to encourage you. We want to resource you with what God has given us. But here's what we need from you. In fact, here's what we need from all of us. This is something we all need to do. We all need to do what Uzziah did. And that is with all humility, seek out a mentor and be trained. Well, trained in what? What, what was he trained in? Well, it says that he was trained. He wanted to be trained in something very specific. He wanted to be trained in the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, he, he saw of most importance that he wanted to be trained in the majesty and wonder of God. He wanted to feel small. He, he, he was king. He had authority. He says, but I, I, I want to experience something bigger, something more wonderful, something outside of me, something mighty. And he wanted this to, to transform how he thought, and he wanted to, him to transform how he acted, he comes to Zechariah, will you please train me in this? Will you please train me in the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is this. It's not hiding in your closet every time God comes around. Like, you know, he's someone to like, you know, you better get, you know, he's an, he's, a, he's an angry guy. You better stay away from him. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord though, is to see him as separate, as holy, as different, as unique, as transcendently unique. Like he's in a completely different category. Like he's not just at the top of the scale, like he's off the charts, right? I don't know if you've seen this documentary that uh, became popular um, in the quarantine, The Last Dance. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a documentary about uh, Michael Jordan in particular, uh, the Bulls, uh, his last season with the Bulls in 1998. It's a really good documentary if you, if you haven't seen that. But what, what this documentary did, it... it, it, it it rekindled this, you know, big debate about who's the greatest of all time. Who's the GOAT? You know, is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron? I got to be honest with you. Like, I was starting to lean toward LeBron. Like, I was, I was heading in that direction. Um, but man, after watching this, I am, I, I am, I am all in now on, on Jordan. But regardless of wherever you're at on this debate, um, here's what's true. In fact, um, these two guys belong in this debate, okay? It's, it's a fair comparison to compare these two great talents. In fact, other people would wanna include other people into that comparison. But here's who doesn't belong in that debate, me, right? Okay, so, so I was cut from my team just like Jordan uh, when I was 5'10", uh, but from that moment, our career passed in basketball took two, it went in two different directions. Um, I don't belong in that conversation. 
Jordan is just not like at a, at, a, at, a, at a higher scale than me. He's like in a completely different category. I don't belong in the conversation. You and I do not belong in the conversation. There is no equal. There is not like, well, he is the most loving. He's the most powerful. He's the most helpful. He is in a different category. He is transcendently unique. And so one of the things that it means to walk in the fear of the Lord is to see that gap to recognize that gap and to feel that gap and to then direct your life according to that gap. And when we do this, the Bible calls this the beginning of wisdom. And this is why this is so important for you and I. This is why Uzziah wanted to be trained in the fear of the Lord. This is why you and I need to be trained in the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We can't even understand the other aspects of God because sometimes uh, many of us, we just want to skip over that. Like, you know, I don't want to deal with the fear of the Lord. I, you know, let's talk about his love. Let's talk about the more acceptable parts of his character. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning. If you don't understand the fear of the Lord, you know, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to understand the way he loves. You're not going to understand how he loves. You're not going to understand his joy, his peace. His, his way of doing justice isn't going to make sense to you until you understand the fear of the Lord. And so the fear of the Lord does a lot of really good things. I mean, we can go on and on here. But the two things that the Bible uh, specifically the wisdom literature point out about the fear of the Lord is one thing I've already mentioned, which is wisdom. The other thing it says in, in Proverbs 14, 26, it says the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. So the, the two main things that's so relevant in this season that the, that the fear of the Lord produces in you and, and in me is that it gives us wisdom and it gives us confidence. And if there's two things that I have heard most commonly in this season is I, I don't know. I, I have no words. You know, why is this happening? There is a knowledge gap. There is a wisdom gap. The other thing I hear is I'm, I'm afraid. I'm unsure. I'm, I'm unsettled. Uh, there's a courage gap. There's a confidence gap. And so the, the, the growing in the fear of the Lord is going to give you wisdom and is going to give you confidence. And that's what it is. So, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It gives you wisdom, but it also gives you confidence. Uh, it gives us confidence when you are afraid. When you get a glimpse of just how big he is, he's just not at the top of the scale, but he's like, you know, he's like in a completely different category. His sovereignty, his majesty, the fact that he calls you a daughter, the fact that he calls you and I a son, that we have been purchased by his blood and we are heirs to the throne, that we are heirs to new heavens and new earth, and we have unfiltered access to him. It gives us confidence. What do I have to fear? What can you do to me? Not like me? Push me to the Martins? Kill me? There's nothing that anyone can do to you or I of eternal, or to eternal consequence that God promises cannot be taken Away. So growing in the fear of the Lord builds our confidence. It, it puts confidence in, in him and not us. And that's why, you know, if we're honest, very few of us want to grow in that because we like to stand on top of our world. We like to stand on top of who we are. We want to not lose control in fear that we would lose the thing that we think will give us happiness or security when it should be rooted in God. So when you fear the Lord, though, your, your confidence begins to grow. When all things begin to move and shake around you and like, what's going on? And I'm afraid and I'm, I'm concerned. From the very center of your being, you begin to say things like, God is able. 
God is willing. God is at work. God will win. Confidence begins to grow. I've seen how this thing ends, and I'm not sure I can take much more of this, but I know that he will right every wrong. I know he will crush every enemy. I know that he is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Which, by the way, I hope you see the subtlety in that. It means that we are on the offensive, not defensive. If the gates of hell will not prevail against us, Gates are defensive. Like, I've never been attacked by the gate. I've never walked down the street and like, oh my gosh, I better watch out for that gate. I had had gates hold me back. And that's what's so encouraging about you and I, is that I, we cannot fall into the lie that darkness is somehow infringing on the light. The light has always been infringing on the darkness. John 1, 5 through, excuse me, John 1, 4 through 5, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So back to our story. King Uzziah, he is overwhelmed by the task at hand, just like you and I. We are overwhelmed by what we see and what we experience we are experiencing. He overwhelmed by this, he first sets his heart on the Lord. He's like, I don't want to talk about me. I don't want to get in some think tank and try to solve the, my problems and the problems of the world. I want him. He's, he's what I'm after. I want to um, know the fear of the Lord. I, 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 he knows what I need. He knows what the world needs. And on his knees, pouring over the word of God, engaging the presence of God, growing in the fear of God, he begins to be inflamed and emboldened by what he's experiencing there. And he does something in the next verse that I think we really need to see. And this is really the crux of today's message. There's this idea out there that piety equals passivity. That confidence in his sovereignty leads us to falling into apathy. That trusting in God means you withdraw from the world, you know, let go and let God, that you disengage. But nothing could be further from the truth because in verse five, he is seeking God and in walking in all humility and the fear of the Lord. And it's from that place of strength with callous knees that he stands up in verse six and he makes war. Now there's something important there. He doesn't respond to war, he makes war. And then the next nine verses, he just goes into detail of how he fought the enemies of God. I mean, I rarely feel lazy, but when I read about what this guy did, man, I feel like, man, what am I doing with my life? I mean, he lays waste to the Philistines, the Arabians, the Mennonites. He builds his own cities and territories. Um, you know, the Ammonites, they pay um, tribute to him. He builds towers and gates and gathered large herds of flocks and built an army of over 300,000 soldiers. He had 2,600 direct reports. He built, uh, you know, uh, uh, ammunition, arrows, uh, spears, helmets, bows, stones. And then verse 15 absolutely blows my mind. It says, in Jerusalem, he made machines, all right? This guy is, this guy is making machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows grace. I mean, he's got Terminator like on the top. Like, I mean, this guy is amazing. He's accomplishing so much. You don't tell Uzziah, let go and let God. That's not where he's at. He doesn't just have calloused knees. He's got calloused hands. He's walking in the fear of the Lord, which empowered him. You got to hear this. It empowered him to fight the enemies of God. And his fame, it says, uh, spread far. And it says that he was marvelously helped. 
<laughs> I mean, most days I will take just kind of sort of helped by God. You know, if I, if, if I could just get like, you know, somebody saved, somebody healed, if somebody plants a church, you know, if I have just any kind of diversity, if I have any kind of win, most days I will just take kind of help by God. But this guy was marvelously helped by God. This is when addition breaks way to multiplication. This is when rebirth gives way to revival. This is when racial conversations give way to racial reconciliation. I don't know about you. I want to be marvelously helped. Uzziah was marvelously helped. And this is a theme that we see throughout all of scripture. The most pious men and women, the most holy, the most godly, the most faithful, they are not passive. They are, they are not kicking up the feet. They are the ones who are the most aggressive. And, and with humility and confidence in the one who called them, they are getting after it from, from Moses to Jeremiah to the, to the early apostles and disciples. Uzziah doesn't encounter the enemies of God and say, whoa, that's terrible. Somebody should do something about that. You know, I'm, I'm a praying man. I'm a pious man. I don't, I don't get engaged. That's not where he's at. His piety did not lead to passivity, but it led to him making war on the enemies of God. He seeks the Lord. He fears the Lord. And out of that pursuit, out of that humility, he proactively begins to chase down the enemies of God with calloused knees and calloused hands. I so wish that was the end of the story. But at the end of verse 10, it says that his fame spread for he was marvelously helped, comma, till he was strong. Till he was strong. Verse 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. We're going to read here in a second that he knew he wasn't supposed to do that. You can read more about this in Exodus 30. It's a dangerous thing to take matters in your own hands, to step outside the fear of the Lord, to do what seems right in your own eyes. Somehow, Uzziah forgets where he came from. He forgets how he was marvelously helped. He forgets where his strength comes from. He forgets the fear of the Lord. Now he feels like it's on him. He, he knows he's not supposed to do this. He knows this doesn't please the Lord, but he thinks in his own wisdom, in his own wisdom, this must be done. And he takes action. He, he has calloused hands still, but he no longer has calloused knees let me just pause and ask you this question. Is there anything in your life right now that you know doesn't please God? Where you think like, I, I know this isn't what I'm supposed to do. I know that God would not be pleased with this, but I don't see another way and I'm going to take action and do it anyway. If that's where you're at, you're exactly where Uzziah is right now. But I want you to know that both for him and for you, uh, the story does not have to be over. Because God brings grace to Uzziah in the form of Azari. And it says the Azari, the, the priest went in after him. So this guy, he goes in after him and he confronts him with 80 other priests of the Lord. And they withstood the king, Uzziah. And they said to him, hey, this isn't right. Look at the Bible. Look what the Bible says. Let me take you to the scriptures. Let me tell you that you're, you, you've gotten off track here. You're out of step. It's not for you to do this. And at this point, 
um, Uzziah is in a good place because he's got people around him who are confronting him in his sin, who love him enough to correct him and to, and to bring the word of God to him. And I hope and I pray that if you're in this situation, that you have friends like Azariah who will help you by confronting you and loving you with God's word where you have been out of step. But here's the warning. You see, to this point, even the fact that he was out of step, God still had grace for him. And in fact, it wasn't when he made the mistake that uh, brought out his, uh, where God goes next, but it's when Uzziah becomes angry. And that's what it says in verse 19. It says, then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And we won't read the rest there, but he never repents. His heart stays hard. God's grace is always available to us. Anytime God softens our heart, you know, today is a day of salvation. Today is the day that we come before him. And we don't just have calloused hands, but we have calloused knees. And with all humility, we come back to the fear of the Lord and say, his ways are higher than my ways. I, I don't always understand them, but I'm going, to, I'm going to walk in the fear of the Lord. Uzziah lost the fear of the Lord. When he walked in the fear of the Lord, things went really, really well. I mean, he was helped marvelously and he went after the enemies of God. But when he lost the fear of the Lord. Things went really, really bad. His hands stayed callous, but his knees got soft. Let me ask you, where are you soft this morning? Where are you soft? Maybe your walk with Jesus so far is learning and growing in what you think are the acceptable parts of God, but you've not really bothered with really the, the beauty and the wonder of coming under the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of the wisdom and it's where confidence grows. If, you, if there's a knowledge gap in this moment, if there's a confidence gap in this moment, walk in the fear of the Lord. Do what Uzziah did initially. Get an older person around you to teach you, to walk you through the fear of the Lord and, and start in a place where you're seeking him. He is making this so obvious uh, God in 2020 is making it so obvious that he wants us to seek him. You know, I've been, I'll be married to my wife, Rachel, for uh, 20 years this year. And, and we're kind of one of those opposites attract couple. And, um, you know, she, she loves gifts and, and she's got really great taste and I have really bad taste. So it's really hard for me to know the right gift. And early on in our marriage, she kind of would hope that if she would just give subtle hints or glances towards stuff, that I would get the hint. I'm too thick for that. And so finally, uh, after many years of me bumping my head on the road, she showed so much grace to me. She made it so obvious to me. She has now created a Pinterest board that's called Gifts to Buy Rachel, and she shared it with me. And so now I can't miss. She has made it so obvious. Well, God in 2020 has made seeking him so obvious. He, he told us, he demonstrated to us that we were out of control with the virus. He, he showed us our brokenness through our newfound awareness of, of racism. And he said, you know what? Why don't you stay in your house and get away from other people so that you can seek me? I believe this is, that's why I believe this is not just a season for you and I to get through but to genuinely break through, to not be content for uh, uh, calloused knees only or calloused hands only, 
but to, and not to allow his sovereignty to be an excuse for our apathy, but to love what God loves, to hate what he hates. And there's no room for a la carte justice in the kingdom of God. People are not our enemies. The world, the flesh, the devil. So our own flesh is our enemy, our, the enemy of our soul, the accuser of the brethren is our enemy. And there are the world system, which is why we need the kingdom of God to come in and correct what is right. We want, it, we want the kingdom and to have the kingdom, we need the king, which means that we need to grow in the fear of the Lord. We need to become aware of our pride, our defensiveness, our inactivity, and our prayerlessness to come before God humbly with callous knees and callous hands. And I wanna end by just inviting you to dream bigger. I really do believe that God wants to do things around us. I really do believe God wants to do things through us, but he's gotta do th- something in us first. And I, I want us to just not be content for a little bit of success, a little you know, a, you know, addition, but really to have that addition breakthrough to multiplication, to see things break loose in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our towns, in our world, the nations of the world, to see churches planted, to see the gospel go forward, to see the kingdom come in, to see lives restored, to see one new humanity in Christ, to see the kingdom come through. It will happen through men and women who have both callous knees and callous hands.